Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. Must see the central narrative. That it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, February 25th. There has been a whole lot of really interesting stuff happening in the last... Global communism, truth, social news, you know, the normal stuff that just happens. There's a bunch of that, too, and I've skipped a bunch of it this week, so I want to quickly get through some of that stuff. The first thing is that Joe Biden has announced from his position as fake president that he is not. She is a black woman, so now the man. And who was mentored in politics by. 
if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, and also wrote the 90s crime bills that are widely agreed to have been responsible for locking up a huge portion of the black American population. That guy has solved racism by nominating the first If you've been listening to the podcast for a couple of months, when this Supreme you might remember that I shared this story. Biden filibustered a black woman judge's nomination for two years. And you might remember the filibuster, according to the Democrat Communist Party, is a staple of And they say you can only use the filibuster if you're racist, except when they do it and they do it all the time. When they do it, it's actually anti-racist. Don't you understand? President Joe Biden has pledged to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court, but he seems to have forgotten about the time he filibustered a black woman judge's nomination to America's second highest court for two years. Way back in 2003 through 2005, when Joe Biden was still a Democrat senator from Delaware, President George W. Bush nominated Janice Rogers Brown to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. But due to her conservative views, Joe Biden and the Democrats filibustered her nomination, blocking a final vote on her confirmation. Bush nominated Brown for the District of Columbia Circuit in 2003 after she served as a justice on the California Supreme Court since 1996. She did not get confirmed until. And the article goes on. So he prevented that very capable black woman from being on the nation's second highest court. I wonder if he had not prevented that, if perhaps we would have already seen a black female judge on the Supreme Court by now. It's certainly possible. I'm not saying it's definite by any means. Maybe George W. Bush would have eventually nominated her for the Supreme Court. Maybe Donald Trump would have done it. But what that does, if you aren't a communist, you ain't black. And that basically fits with Joe Biden's history, both in his actions and what he's expressed throughout his career. But now he's a hero. Now he's solving racism. In his little nomination speech he gave today with Ketanji Brown Jackson standing behind him fully masked up, he said it's important that the court looks like America. And most people would think, isn't it more important that the court follows the laws as they're written and applies them? But you would be wrong. The most important thing is what color skin the person has and whether they have a pee-pee or a hoo-ha. And once we get through this phase, we're going to need to hear about how we need a trans person on the court so that the court really looks like America. But if you have a full-sized adult brain, you would know that this is obviously racist and obviously discriminatory, and it's being released right now so that the media has something other to talk about. Besides the complete collapse of the COVID narrative, the 
awful economy, the rampant inflation, the rampant illegal immigration, and the fact that the fake president is being beclowned on the world stage while everyone is watching and the deep state is losing their collective minds. But hey, I'm sure it will bring an enormous round of applause in the fake president's fake State of the Union, which he's scheduled to give on Tuesday evening of next week. But you could imagine that might be canceled. If not, who boy, that's going to be the big story from the State of the Union. Joe Biden solved racism. Joe Biden solved racism. Oh, it's amazing. Can't you feel the solution to racism just raining from the sky? You thought the election of Barack Obama was going to solve racism. Turns out it's Joe Biden choosing to only consider black female candidates for vice president and then Supreme Court. And oh, how lucky we will be if Katanji Brown Jackson is just as qualified as Kamala Harris and just as successful and effective. And here's some more information about his nominee. Ex-clerk of SCOTUS contender said to primp her Wikipedia page and degrade those of her competitors. This is Kyle Morris at Fox News on February 4th of this year. A former law clerk for a potential nominee to the Supreme Court took to Wikipedia over the last week to edit his boss's biography as well as those of her competitors. A Politico investigation into the alterations led to a group of former law clerks for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson identifying the anonymous editor as Matteo Godi. A statement sent to the outlet by former Johnson clerks, and that must mean Jackson clerks, who were granted anonymity said Godi had edited Jackson's Wikipedia page, quote, as a matter of course, end quote, for several years, but insisted Jackson was not aware of Godey's edits on the pages of other judges. Politico reported what it considered to be a pattern of changes, noting that Jackson's page was edited, quote, to paint her in a more favorable light for a liberal audience, while the pages for other potential nominees, South Carolina Federal District Judge J. Michelle Childs and California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger were altered to make them potentially less appealing to a left leaning audience. End quote. President Biden said late last month that he will announce his nominee to replace retiring Justice Stephen Breyer before the end of February and that the candidate will be a black woman. I've made no decision except one. The person I nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court, Biden said at the time. It's long overdue, in my view. Biden tapped Jackson in 2021 to serve as his nominee to fill the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals seat of Attorney General Merrick Garland. Jackson, who has long been touted in progressive circles as a potential candidate for the Supreme Court, is reportedly included on Biden's short list of nominees. So he nominated her just last year to fill Merrick Garland's slot because he needed to move that communist up to lead the DOJ. And so he nominated Katanji Brown Jackson and Lindsey Graham 
Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins were such good, strong conservatives that they helped approve her nomination to that position. And now he's promoting her once again because she must have done just incredible work there. And it's not because she's a communist with deals that need to get paid back. And it's not because she's related to former Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan, who was involved in an operation to try to take down Donald Trump and then was unceremoniously removed from his position by the people who realized that he is an anti-Trump uniparty communist. He's very happy about the nomination. Is it because he thinks that Katanji Brown Jackson is actually going to uphold Paul Ryan's conservative principles in the court? Does he believe that she is going to give a proper reading to the Constitution and not try to create law from the bench? No, that's not it. It's because Paul Ryan's corrupt as shit. And because the Uniparty needs to install as many corrupt people who will do their bidding as possible. And Katanji Brown Jackson is the perfect person for that role. So back to the Fox News article. Jackson recently faced scrutiny over her judicial record, which includes high profile rulings that were later overruled by higher courts. Senate Republicans are likely to point to her string of overturned cases should she get the nomination. And now she has. Neither the White House nor Jackson could be reached for comment. So one of her former clerks continually updates her Wikipedia page to make her seem like a better candidate. He also edits the pages of the other people who could have been potential nominees so that she can gain an advantage in terms of public perception. And they're focused on the public perception coming from the left. They want to make her seem even more radical than she is, because if they didn't, then the communists who are loud on social media would have created problems for this nominee. They would have said that Biden is actually nominating someone who doesn't really fulfill their ideological requirements. But hey, it is so important to nominate a black woman to Supreme Court that you can actually change her history and you're still the good guy. You just wipe out all her history, make sure she is appropriately communist and corrupted, and then she's perfect because of her skin color and her gender. We're progressive. Now, changing subjects without a segue... This is Maria Bartiromo talking to the CEO of Moderna. His name is Stefan Bansell. And I know I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago, maybe just in passing, but he had deleted his Twitter account completely a couple of Fridays ago after some pretty damaging evidence began coming out about the vaccine trials and the FDA's hastened and inept approval process. So he routinely sells off a bunch of stock and did that day, but also closed down his Twitter. And now he says this. Uh, let me ask you what the Daily Mail is reporting. It says more evidence COVID was tinkered with in a lab. Now scientists find the virus contains a tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before the pandemic began. Your reaction, Stefan, what can you tell us? So 
My scientists are looking into those data to see how accurate they are or not. As I've said before, the hypothesis of an escape from a lab by an accident is possible. You know, human makes mistakes. So uh, is it possible that the Wuhan lab in China was working on uh, viruses uh, enhancement or gene modification? And then there was an accident where somebody was infected in the lab and then infected their families and friends. It is possible on the claim you just uh, mentioned, uh, the scientists are analyzing to know if it's uh, real or not. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I was struck by the line. It matched a genetic sequence patented by Moderna for cancer research purposes, Stefan. Yeah, and that's the type of things that the team is looking at very carefully to know is it is it real or not. Okay. So it, it takes a bit of time to analyze yeah. all the genetic sequence. So the CEO of Moderna is responding to reports most recently in the Daily Mail a couple of days ago. But this stuff has been coming out over the last month or so that COVID and COVID's genetic sequence contains a sequence patented by Moderna in 2018. And here is the article from the Daily Mail. The headline is more evidence COVID was tinkered with in a lab. Now scientists find virus contains tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before pandemic began. Fresh suspicion that COVID may have been tinkered with in a lab emerged today after scientists found genetic material owned by Moderna in the virus's spike protein. They identified a tiny snippet of code that is identical to a part of a gene patented by the vaccine maker three years before the pandemic. It was discovered in SARS-CoV-2's unique furin cleavage site, the part that makes it so good at infecting people and separates it from other coronaviruses. The structure has been one of the focal points of debate about the virus's origin, with some scientists claiming it could not have been acquired naturally. The international team of researchers suggests the virus may have mutated to have a furin cleavage site during experiments on human cells in a lab. They claim there is a one in three trillion chance Moderna's sequence randomly appeared through natural evolution. But there is some debate about whether the match is as rare as the study claims, with other experts describing it as a quirky coincidence rather than a smoking gun. And the article goes on. They would hate to have this be a smoking gun. And you just heard Stefan Bansell telling Maria Bartiromo that I, I I guess it's possible that they could have been doing some work on this or that thing and that through some accident it could have been released. And I guess we just didn't ever know it until now. So we're going to continue investigating for as long as it takes for you guys to forget about this story. And then we'll just see what the investigation finds. And You'll accept that answer, won't you? You'll accept that answer, media people, right? You'll accept that answer, uniparty communists, because you've spent the last two years telling everybody that it's a conspiracy theory, that it could have somehow come from the lab. And it's certainly a conspiracy theory that it has anything to do with cancer or HIV, even though both parts of those viruses are present in what we call the SARS cov 2 coronavirus you guys will believe that right <laughs> sure i know you guys are gonna believe it 
Good looking out. Thanks. Thanks. We didn't really want to have to handle this story. So thank goodness all you guys believe it. Now, this is a Substack post from a man named Igor Chudov. This is from a couple of days ago as well. Moderna patented cancer gene is in SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. I did a little more digging into the topic of my article about genes from the 2018 Moderna patent. I wrote about it yesterday, but kept reading and digging and found much more disturbing stuff than I expected. First, a recap. SARS-CoV-2 virus has a genetic insert that exists only in Moderna patent 9587003 from 2018. Obviously, bats could not copy the patented insert into their viruses by themselves, right? And he provides a link to his earlier work on that. So then, since Cave bats cannot copy genes from a Moderna patent into their coronaviruses. Obviously, a question arises. How did this happen? And he posts an explanation from a colleague on Twitter. The pathway was that Moderna made the mutated MSH3, but included a CGG CGG sequence, presumably to get a greater immune response. She, this is Xi Zhengli from the Wuhan lab and from the work with Dr. Barrick in North Carolina, used the MUT underscore MSH3 cell line and co-transfected with a SARS virus with GP120 additions from her bank. Rephrasing this explanation, SARS-CoV-2 was passed through human cells, which were specifically of the line developed by Moderna, which contained mutated MSH3 genes. Due to such passage, SARS-CoV-2 cells acquired the Moderna mutation. In other words, they say the CT, CCT, CGG, CGG, GCA, CGTAG. <laughs> so many letters. Sequence was randomly picked off human cells that happened to be Moderna patented human cells. It is just a sign of what kind of lab work was performed. But go back to the patent where all those letters appears. This is a Moderna patent by Bancel et al. That is oncology, cancer related, and is about making cancer causing proteins. And he shows the patent. Thus, I would like to present an alternative that is much more sinister. The specific sequence of the MSH3 mutation that we are discussing is not a random mutation. It is a cancer gene added on purpose. Its point is, duh, to ensure production of oncology-related proteins, just like in the patent. The proteins that end up in the spike of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It possibly was purposely edited into the SARS-CoV-2 genome, just as HIV genes were edited in, and was not an artifact of accidental and sloppy lab work. Furthermore, all those letters, that code, is a key part of the spike protein and is present in the key location of the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Is it really an accident? Let's take a look. The gene MSH3 has been long known for its mutations that cause cancer. 
Here's the NIH article from 1996. And the headline of that article is NIH scientists find mutant repair gene MSH3 has role in uterine cancer. Here's a good explanation of how MSH3 encoded proteins are related to cellular repair and prevention of cancer. MUTS homolog 3 MSH3 is a gene that encodes a protein that is a component of MUTS beta, a post replicative DNA mismatch repair system. The protein functions in a DNA mismatch repair, missense mutations, nonsense mutations, silent mutations, frame shift deletions and insertions, and in frame deletions are observed in cancers such as intestinal cancer, skin cancer, and stomach cancer. MSH3 is altered in 2.28% of all cancers with colon adenocarcinoma, endometrial endometrioid adenocarcinoma, lung adenocarcinoma, prostate adenocarcinoma, and conventional glioblastoma multiform having the greatest prevalence of alterations. Oddly enough, spike protein does the same. And he links another reference. The article explains that free-floating spike protein penetrates cell nuclei, where DNA is, and inhibits normal DNA repair leading to cancers, just like the Moderna cancer patents MSH3 mutations do. As SARS-CoV-2 appears to be genetically edited with HIV sequences embedded in it, can we ask, is it possible that all those letters was intentionally added to the COVID-19 spike for the specific purpose to do the same things as it does in MSH3 mutations. That is with the purpose to suppress DNA repair and cause cancers. In other words, there are two possibilities. That code, all those letters, was accidentally picked up by SARS-CoV-2 virus as it was passed through Moderna's patented MSH3 mutated cell lines developed for Moderna's cancer experiments, or it was intentionally added to SARS-CoV-2 spike protein code to inhibit VDJ recombination and P53 repair and cause cancers in anyone who receives spike protein from COVID or otherwise, which basically at this point means everybody, probably, regardless of whether or not you got the vaccine. The tip to our answer is that that code does not appear in some random place in the SARS-CoV-2 genome, but instead it appears in the spike and near the furin cleavage site, the centrally important part of the spike. We do not yet know which of these possibilities is right. What we do know is that everything else about SARS-CoV-2 was extremely thoughtfully and professionally done, such as HIV fragments added to it. Why should we assume that a cancer-causing mutation code from a cancer-related Moderna patent was inserted into just the perfect location on the spike purely by chance? Giving credit where it's due, I asked the same Twitter user cited above prior to publishing. He answered in a manner that indicates that it is worth thinking about. And he posts the answer. It's too convenient to be accidental when combined with the GP120 sequences. Read Prodhan's paper again. My last question. That code is patented. Was the author of SARS-CoV-2 adding it with the permission of the patent holder? What do you think?
And then he sums up the article and encourages people to give him their feedback and analysis of his work. But hey, you just heard Moderna's CEO on television saying that maybe this exact thing could have happened by accident, but surely it was an accident. It's strange, isn't it, that he didn't make the claim that even if it turns out that that's true, whether an accident or not, it's not going to present anyone problems. It's not going to cause cancer. So it would be natural to assume that he's already kind of seeded that part of the battleground, right? He's basically admitting, yeah, that actually would be a problem if it happened, but we don't know if it happened. And if it did happen, it was surely an accident. And you can trust us. We're Moderna. And I sell my stock all the time and just deleted my Twitter account. But it's not because I'm about to be caught for creating something that is intended to wipe out the world's population. It could never be that. And before we get to Russia, Ukraine and Truth Social, it's worth mentioning that CPAC is happening this weekend and Donald Trump will be speaking tomorrow, Saturday. But one thing that I'm really interested in, despite, you know, whatever you might think about CPAC or Matt Schlapp or the fact that they have the idiot Tulsi Gabbard there, who is basically just an AOC being sold to the right as like one of the good ones, one of the good socialist Democrats who is a young leader at the World Economic Forum. Yeah, she's Dan Crenshaw for Republican dudes who think that she's like hot, which I have to think is some sort of weird thing in the male brain where a woman who you are attracted to finally comes around to agreeing with you. And you're like, yeah, I got her now. <laughs> We're in a relationship. Me and Tulsi. Oh, she's just perfect. One of the most important things about politicians is whether or not I find them physically attractive. But the thing is, Tim Ramthan is at CPAC this weekend, which is in some sense, Tim Ramthan's introduction to the national movement. He has been doing yeoman's work in Wisconsin, trying to get that election decertified. And the only thing preventing that at this point is the presence of extreme traitorous rhinos like the speaker, Robin Voss, because the courts in Wisconsin have already ruled against two different methods that allowed the Uniparty and the global communists to steal the election in 2020 in Wisconsin. The first of those being the indefinitely confined voter status that was claimed by an additional roughly 160,000 voters so that they could avoid using voter ID to cast ballots in Wisconsin that were eventually counted in violation of Wisconsin election law. And the other is the presence of the Mark Zuckerberg drop boxes. Both of those things were deemed illegal and unconstitutional by the courts in Wisconsin. And they could justifiably decertify any day if the political pressure was there. And the political pressure being there means the people actually have to stand up and demand it, which they should be doing. And I know many are. But I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see that Tim Ramthan meets with Donald Trump, for instance. Regardless, he's going to meet a whole lot of other 
prominent Republican figures this weekend, and hopefully he'll get some traction. But let's move to Russia and Ukraine. The president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, released a video last night. And since the version I have is obviously him speaking in Ukrainian and it has subtitles rather than a translator, I'm going to read the translation as I play the video. If you want to analyze it for yourself in the original Ukrainian, you can find it in the info stream t.me slash I'm your moderator. Today, I have asked 27 European leaders whether Ukraine will be in NATO. I have asked directly. Everyone is afraid. No one answers. But we are not afraid. We are not afraid of anything. We are not afraid to defend our country. We are not afraid of Russia. We are not afraid to talk to Russia. We are not afraid to talk about anything, about security guarantees for our country. We are not afraid of talking about neutrality. We are not NATO members at the moment. But what guarantees will we get? And most importantly, which countries will give us those guarantees? I remain in the capital. My family is also in Ukraine. My children are in Ukraine. My family are not traitors. They are citizens of Ukraine. Where exactly they are, I have no right to say. According to the available intelligence, the enemy marked me as target number one, my family as target number two. They want to destroy Ukraine politically by destroying the head of the state. So we talked yesterday about clarity and certainty and how we can't expect that we are always going to have that immediately. And I won't claim to. I will say I picture Zelensky as a wild card. There are people who think he's a deep state global communist stooge who has allowed rampant corruption, who could have provided more information more quickly that would have helped Donald Trump more in his quest to eliminate that corruption on the part of the Clintons, the Obamas, Romneys, Kerry, Biden, everyone. And that's certainly a valid point. And there are also people who think that perhaps he is playing a part in the dismantling of all that corruption, which may well be Vladimir Putin's aim in the military operation that is currently ongoing in Ukraine. I'm open to all the possibilities. But if we focus on that second possibility and listen to that video with that in mind, he is describing the enemy, but not saying Russia. And Again, I know that this is a little bit out there and you're like, come on, but yeah, he's talking about Russia. Okay, maybe. But if he's not, if he is talking about the deep state and the global communists as the enemy, then he may well be enemy number one for them. The amount of information in Ukraine that could destroy the deep state and the global communist order is enormous because so much of that worldwide corruption flows through Ukraine. And who knows how much corrupt money is being held in Ukraine? 
how much central bank money might be held in Ukraine. And while I was watching the Biden speech and, you know, the question and answer period, it's hard to call it a press conference when you're selecting questions in advance. And when I was watching Jen Psaki in the press room of the White House yesterday, there were questions about Zelensky's safety and security and where he is. And the fake administration was not answering those questions. They were answering them in very strange ways. Oh, we can't talk about that because of, you know, security concerns. But we're talking about people who don't have answers to anything and are constantly lying. So that sounds potentially like they are covering for another massive hole in their intelligence. And again, I'm not saying that I know any of this. I'm saying that this is a possibility worth considering as we watch the situation develop. And since then, we have been hearing fairly constantly about the chances that Vladimir Putin might stage cyber attacks and that the U.S. or our allies might launch cyber attacks against Russia to shut down different parts of Russia's military or their transportation or their economy. And the global communists and the propaganda media are trying to spin that as if a cyber attack on a nation we're not at war with is a legitimate way of handling the situation as if it's some small step up from sanctions. But it's not. A cyber attack is an act of war. They are actively promoting the United States launching a preemptive act of war against a country we're not at war with, who is also not at war with any of our allies, though they are trying to make it seem like that's the case. And here is the woman who has claimed election fraud and election manipulation more than everyone who can see the truth about the 2020 election combined. And of course, I'm talking about one of the major global communist traitors herself, Hillary Clinton. What can we do as a country to encourage and support those people? David, that's a great question. And, uh, even though I did not encourage the demonstrations back in 2011, uh, I did point out on behalf of our country that they were in response to uh, what was an obvious uh, effort by Putin to stay in power and to literally rig his elections. Now we are looking at Russians once again in the streets. They don't want a war with Ukraine. There's a lot of family and other connections between Russians and Ukrainians. I think we can have both what I would argue for uh, government support, but also non-governmental support. There were reports overnight that uh, Anonymous, uh, a group of hackers, took down Russian uh, TV. Uh, I think that, you know, people who love freedom, people who understand that, you know, our way of life depends upon uh, supporting uh, those who believe in freedom as well could be engaged in uh, cyber uh, support for uh, those in the streets in Russia. We did some of that during uh, the Arab Spring when I was Secretary of State. I think we could be also attacking a lot of the uh, government institutions and, uh, again, the oligarchs and their, uh, you know, their way of life through cyber attacks. And, 
it will be difficult to get actual physical support, but I think we should be looking at that. I mean, the old days of, you know, radio free Europe and getting and beaming in uh, accurate information into the homes of Russians, we should be doing everything we can now online to replicate that. It will be very difficult for Putin to plug all the holes in that dike. Information going into uh, Russia about what Putin is actually doing with this unprovoked attack on Ukraine can keep people, you know, energized. And I think that's something that we should be doing, as I say, both through our government, but also individuals who have the capacity to do that. Our tech companies should not be aiding Russia in this attack in any way. They should be aiding those who are standing for freedom, which, after all, is something that, uh, you know, they're supposed to be on the side of. So she wants to launch cyber attacks against Russia. And at the same time, she wants the propaganda system used by the global communists to still be working at full volume on the Russian people so that there is a series of violent uprisings in Russia by anti-war protesters. You know, just like the same way that Antifa are actually anti-fascist protesters and Black Lives Matter are solving racism by funneling money for foreign oligarchs into the Democrat Party and Hillary Clinton and the leaders of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. It's all very real, you see. Hillary Clinton didn't set up those demonstrations in 2011. She didn't have anything to do with them. And she has to be sure to mention that and remind people that she had nothing to do with them. But she did point out how important they were. And now she wants more demonstrations because the Russian people demonstrating and causing chaos will surely back Putin down. And what they're doing by basically doing public relations for a cyber attack campaign against a nation we're not at war with is they are setting up the premises for a larger, more widespread war. These people would rather have World War III than be taken down. And we should all hope and pray that they do not get to that point. But the U.S. launching cyber attacks against Russia is an overt act of war. And that's what the Democrat Communist Party and the media propagandists and other elitists are actually calling for. It's hilarious right now to watch all of the child-brained communists uh, on Twitter and wherever else bending over backwards to praise the news that is circulating throughout the world that the Ukrainians are arming their own citizens. They think it's good that the citizens have guns to protect themselves from Russia. And Maybe they're finally understanding the Second Amendment, but I'm sure they have a very convoluted and complicated explanation for how those things are nothing alike. Take all the guns away from all Americans. And if someday Russia attacks, oh, we'll just give you all your guns back to them. That is a totally coherent thought. They want the only people possessing guns to be gang members or members of a federalized police force, which is why they wanted to defund the police. They don't care about your lives. They don't care about Ukrainian lives. They don't care about black lives. They care about the global communist order marching ever forward. 
Now, we talked yesterday about how Vladimir Putin says that he is attempting to denazify Ukraine and NBC News wanted to make sure that they could fact check that claim and explain everything for the child brains in the world. So they came up with this brilliant article, the headline from yesterday, Putin using false Nazi narrative to justify Russia's attack on Ukraine. Experts say. So it's not the opinion of NBC News, the objective journalism source. They're not going to make that claim themselves that it's a false Nazi narrative, because then they might look like fools if people point out, oh, hey, well, they have a Nazi militia that is part of their National Guard. Could that be what he's talking about? And hey, isn't there a history from World War II in that region that, you know, might still be at play 60 and 70 and 80 years later? But they don't have to worry about that since they outsourced their thinking to some experts they decided to include in this piece. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday peddled accusations of Nazi elements within Ukraine to justify the attack on his Western neighbor, a move that experts slammed as slanderous and false. In announcing he had launched Russian forces against key Ukrainian military and logistics posts, Putin said he's striving for the demilitarization and denazification of the sovereign democracy in Kiev and definitely not Kiev. But by the way, it's important to point out, even in this article, they said he announced he had launched Russian forces against key Ukrainian military and logistics posts. Those are targets. That is not an attack on the Ukrainian people. Vladimir Putin's goal does not seem to be, in any objective understanding, killing Ukrainians. That is what an attack on people is. Trying to kill people. Trying to take out military and strategic targets in a country is not attacking people. It is attacking the country, obviously, geographically. But it's not attacking the people of the country. In fact, it seems like so far the goal has been to minimize civilian casualties. And we should at least be honest enough to admit that the United States attacks military and strategic targets in countries around the world on a pretty regular basis, particularly when global communists are holding that office even illegitimately so. Putin has long sought to falsely paint Ukraine as a Nazi hotbed, which is a particularly jarring accusation given that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish and lost three family members in the Holocaust. Well, do you see the little rhetorical trick they just played there? Ukraine can't be a Nazi hotbed because Ukraine's president is Jewish. Don't you understand? Well, that also is the reason George Soros can't be a Nazi, even though he helped load Jews onto the trains. Because George Soros is Jewish. That is exactly the same logic. Turns out not to be true at all. And it turns out that Ukraine actually does have the Azov Battalion, and they are neo-Nazis, and they are in the Ukrainian National Guard. So that seems to be better evidence than, oh, well, the president's Jewish, so it can't be. I mean, the same people call all of us domestic terrorists and white supremacists, and they pretend that Joe Biden, an actual white supremacist, 
with a history of white supremacist actions and associations, including his mentor in politics, who was the Klansman Robert Byrd. He is not a white supremacist. So they can say that the United States is a white supremacist nation founded on white supremacy with all these white supremacists and domestic terrorists. But Joe Biden's not one. So by their same logic, the United States could not be a white supremacist nation. You got to give up one or the other, guys. Come on, commies. We can think better than that. Claiming to fight Nazis is really, quote, code for replacing the Ukrainian government, which is especially ironic given that the Ukrainian president is Jewish, said Andrei Dobriansky of the Ukrainian Congress Committee of America, an ethnic advocacy group based in New York City. And now you know the claim is true because they've said it twice. And now someone who would know has also said it. Michael McFall, a former U.S. ambassador to Russia, fought to contain his anger over the Nazi narrative pushed by Putin. He's talking about Nazification. There are no Nazis in Ukraine, McFall said Thursday on MSNBC's Morning Joe. The leader of Ukraine is not a Nazi. He's a democratically elected leader, McFall said. And perhaps they should look at how he got there and how Petro Poroshenko before him got there and whether or not they deposed a leader in a color revolution before that. But McFall doesn't care about that. He's a global communist. Back to McFall's quote. He's Jewish. He is not a Nazi. I'm sorry. I'm so emotional, but we've got to get over the fact that we're going to deal with this guy on some real politique cost benefit analysis. Putin hopes to touch upon Generations old scars left from World War II when an estimated 24 million Soviet citizens died and conflate modern Ukraine with elements of its problematic past. And we can't do that. We never, ever, ever make points about anything by referring to something that happened in the past when we're protecting global communists. Otherwise, past is totally fair game for attacking anyone. In fact, that's what cancel culture's all about. During World War II, some Ukrainian nationalists fought with the Nazis, battled the Polish underground, and helped Germans round up Jewish citizens for genocide. Ukrainian collaborators were among Nazi forces that put down the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and the Warsaw Uprising. However, in today's Ukraine, the remaining pro-Nazi movement is far from an open, influential force. While the Ukrainian National Guard is home to the Azov Battalion, a force populated by neo-Nazi sympathizers, there is no evidence to suggest widespread support for such extreme right nationalism in the government, military, or electorate. And you got that? It's extreme right. And that's not what it is. And yeah, I mean, we admit that like a big portion of this regiment in the Ukrainian National Guard are in fact neo-Nazis, but we just had an expert say that there are no Nazis in Ukraine. So what are you going to believe? Like the facts on the ground or the expert that we just showed you to debunk the facts on the ground? In the most recent Ukrainian parliamentary elections in 2019, 
a coalition of ultra-nationalist right-wing parties failed to win even a single seat in the RADA, the country's 450-member legislature. And you see, they just attached the neo-Nazis to the extreme far right and to the nationalist right-wing. So if those people don't win in the parliament with their very safe and very secure elections, then that means that there are no neo-Nazis in Ukraine, just like the experts said. Don't you understand? This is a high quality debunking. And for several years, U.S. appropriations laws have included a provision banning spending in support of the Azov Battalion. We have, we just, we just give our money to other things, you know, like when we give Planned Parenthood $600 million a year of federal taxpayer money, we say that it can't go to abortion procedures and it, it doesn't because we say it can't get it. David Harris, CEO of the American Jewish committee and advocacy group said he's confident that Putin's Nazi narrative, quote, won't work. First, Ukraine is led by a Jewish president who was overwhelmingly chosen by voters in a democratic election. It reflects today's Ukrainian mindset and outlook, a far cry from the past, Harris said, just like Joe Biden, a far cry from the past. Yes, his mentor that he spent 30 or 40 years working right alongside of was a former Grand Klegel and Exalted Cyclops in the KKK, but that was in the past. And yes, he wrote the crime bills in the 90s, but that was in the past. And yes, he said, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. But that too was in the past. That was two whole years ago. And today he just nominated a black woman for the Supreme Court, even after he had filibustered the nominations of black women in his past. That was the past. Was George Soros a Nazi? <laughs> okay, but in the past, was Justin Trudeau's dad, Fidel Castro? Yes, but in the past, and only for like a couple of minutes, and then his dad was Pierre Trudeau for the rest of it, was Christia Freeland's grandfather a Nazi newspaper man? Yes, but in the past. <laughs> so it's got no effect on today because we rewrite history, just like Orwell imagined. And now that past is not the past. It's a different world that doesn't apply to this world. And if you don't believe us, well, we'll just rewrite the past a little more. But back to this very important quote from David Harris, CEO of the American Jewish Committee. And second, the ones behaving like Nazis are, let's be clear, Putin and his regime brazenly invading another country, invoking fake grievances, lying incessantly and denying another nation's right to chart its own destiny are all, yes, taken from the Nazi playbook. And these people know the Nazi playbook so well, which is how they can be certain that censorship and forcing a medical experiment on infants has nothing to do with Nazism because that was what the Nazis did in the past. And now what the Nazis did in the past is exactly what Putin is doing now. And you can tell based on the fact that he is only targeting military and logistics targets as they admitted earlier in the article. <laughs> 
Putin is doing ethnic cleansing. And by ethnic, we mean, you know, military targets and the Democrat communists, the global communist order. They would never do ethnic cleansing. I mean, yeah, they've been experimenting with very safe and effective vaccines in Africa for decades, but that's not ethnic cleansing, even if it does leave them sterile. You got it. It makes sense if you just lie all the time. And let's finish the article so we can really top off this whole debunking where they really get to the meat of things. Johannin Prostrovsky Stern, a Ukrainian native and professor of Jewish history at Northwestern University, said Putin's claims about, quote, denazification goes against elemental truth. So you don't have to prove it in this situation. It's elemental truth. You just understand that what I'm saying is correct, and that's it. People who believe him and who spread these lies are engaging in slander, Petrovsky Stern said. Ukraine is a multi-ethnic country in which minorities like Georgians have key government roles, and it has a Jewish president. Don't you get it? Minority Georgians are allowed to get into their government, and the president is Jewish. So there can't be Nazis there, even if they're in their own military. There's no Nazis in Ukraine. Michael McFall said any efforts to link Ukraine to long ago Nazi movements lack any rationale. We've got to treat him, Putin, like an irrational evil leader who has unjustly and grossly attacked a free and democratic Ukraine, McFall said. So you got that? You got it all. There are neo-Nazis in a battalion that is part of the Ukrainian National Guard, and they do have occasionally fully open demonstrations through the streets of Ukraine, but there are no Nazis in Ukraine. The president is Jewish. Minority people from other countries, which is now the new definition of minority. So everybody from France or England who happens to be white in the United States is a minority. Got it? Simple. And it doesn't matter how far back into their past you go because the Ukrainian president is Jewish, whether or not he represents the needs or wants of the Jewish people broadly. He is Jewish. That's part of his past. So no worries there. And if you, if you even think about potentially believing that Putin might have a point about the Nazi element in Ukraine, then what you're doing is slander. It's your fault and your problem. You're a bad person for even considering that this might be true. And so once we have laid all of that on you, we have proved our case. There are no Nazis in Ukraine. Therefore, Putin is lying. And you know he's lying because he's a liar. And you know we're telling the truth because we say it confidently and forcefully with emotional triggers rather than support with facts. So you probably shouldn't even bother exploring the history of Nazism in the region or the history of Nazism within the global communist order and America's own deep state. I mean, everybody knows all the Nazis were just wiped out after World War II. They didn't go to South America. They didn't come to the United States of America, and they certainly didn't enter NASA. And we certainly didn't rationalize them entering NASA by saying, Ooh, look at space. Isn't it amazing? If it takes Nazis to get us there, well, I guess that's just the price we pay. But don't worry about that. 
NASA is just about space, the final frontier. And so, yeah, there were a few Nazis, but it's not like they had any influence or could have stuck around. And it's not like they could have also come here and infiltrated other industries and stuck around. I mean, Christia Friedland's grandfather, he's dead, but in the past he was alive. Oh man, it's so confusing. It's so confusing. You see, there's no way that the Nazis from World War II could still have any influence because all of them, yeah, they all, uh, they all, they all died. None of them made it to the West. None of them survived. None of them have a legacy and none of them have passed their beliefs on to their progeny and down through the generations. And none of them have found one another and infiltrated their way into systems of power. So we can just give up the idea altogether. Despite the fact that the actual Nazi playbook can be seen in reality being played out in the world and reported on by the mainstream news, though not in those terms right now. And you're a crazy, slanderous, traitorous, conspiracy theorist to even think about it. Now, finally, I want to talk about Truth Social for a little bit. And I want to continue the discussion from yesterday about the presence of a certain prominent letter showing up on Truth Social. And the letter I'm referring to, of course, is the letter Q. So I mentioned yesterday how there was an account called at Q on Truth Social and that Truth Social CEO, the former congressman from California, Devin Nunes, who worked side by side with Cash Patel in exposing the Russiagate hoax and the plot to take down President Donald Trump, had responded to a Q post related to Chernobyl where he said, who is Q? And I suggested yesterday that at the very least, whether or not this Q was the Q or whatever this Q was, the fact that Devin Nunes is interacting with this Q would make it eventually impossible for the media to ignore. Now, the Q account seems to have been created before Devin Nunes's own account or the account of Donald Trump on the Truth Social platform, which is interesting all by itself, because that means that someone from the inside essentially has to have the ability to create that account and the motivation to create that account and do so with the knowledge of all the other people running that platform. They all decided, yes, this is okay. Let's do it. Okay. At worst, at minimum, this is a massive and effective trolling operation against the mainstream media. That's what I said yesterday. Whether or not this queue is the queue, it is still going to be effective because the media is going to have to talk about this. And the fact that a former congressman who runs the platform is interacting with this account means that they can't simply ignore it. They can't just call him a conspiracy theorist and if they're going to try to claim that this is all an elaborate hoax and they're just trying to mess with the media, well, that will be hilarious on its own because no matter what, the media is going to have to spin itself into circles about this entire thing. So Cash Patel himself on his Truth Social account yesterday posted a picture of a beer and an 
a person's arm, a man's arm in a flannel shirt. And he said that he was having beers with Q. He wrote having a beer with at Q right now, dot, dot, dot. And about an hour later at Q responded cashing out with at cash fight with cash.com pounding the fake news media one lawsuit at a time in quotes. And so just taking the obvious first impression, Cash Patel is having a beer with the person who is at Q on Truth Social. We don't know who that person is. That person who runs the at Q account on Truth Social responded. Now, for people who have followed Q and accept or understand or believe that Q is what it purports to be, a group of people under 10 in size who are related to a military and intelligence and psychological and information warfare operation to eventually take down and remove the deep state and rid the country and perhaps the world of all of these elements of massive corruption, take it or leave it. But that's generally what people believe it to be. People believe Donald Trump to be Q plus, and then they believe that people like Cash Patel, potentially Dan Scavino, potentially Ezra Cohen Watnick, potentially, and some others, potentially, honestly, no one, I don't think knows any of these answers for absolute certain in a way that they could prove to every other person. At some point, it becomes a matter of belief or non-belief faith or lack of faith. But it is believed that Cash Patel is either in that mix himself or on the edges of it and around it. And either that's speculation or it's true. But now Cash Patel is on Truth Social tagging a person with the at Q account who he is having a beer with in person. And that account exists before Devin Nunes's account and before Donald Trump's account. It definitely exists on the platform. So to that extent, it's certainly real. Cash Patel could have been joking that he wasn't with at Q having beers. So that just means that person he was with would not be the person who is the at Q account, right? That's possible. And he could have just been trolling and making a joke. Totally possible. But whoever at Q is, does exist and has that account. Or maybe we're going to say that Devin Nunes and Donald Trump set up that account simply for trolling the media. At some point, it actually doesn't matter. Okay, Donald Trump is obviously aware of the presence of that account. You'd have to assume that Cash Patel is aware of it. Devin Nunes is aware of it. None of them seem to find it problematic in any way because they're interacting with it though obviously not Trump yet. So at the bare minimum, they are accepting that the media might try to spin them as conspiracy theorists and QAnon followers and people who believe in a satanic cult of cannibals who are bent on world control. And that's a conspiracy theory. And so today, the at Q account posted on Truth Social Q's just a harmless nickname, just a fake Q, having fun trolling the fake news with at cash. 
but let's keep Flannel Friday. And Flannel Friday was a suggestion from Pepe Lives Matter yesterday that everyone would put on flannel today in honor of at Q, the man sitting at the table with cash wearing a flannel shirt. So that's the at Q account interacting with the same community that the actual Q from the boards was interacting with for years, but saying, hey, this is all just trolling. It's a LARP. And we might find out that they're being truthful with that. And they are just trolling. They are just trolling the media. They are going to force the media to cover this. But why would they force the media to cover that? That's the question. And you have to think that at worst, the motivation is to take away the media's ability to call everybody Q and get them quickly dismissed by all the very, very smart people out in the world who have absolutely no idea what Q is, except they're sure it's bad and they're sure it's fake. And they're sure everyone who even looks into it is just so stupid. And of course, all of those people think that masks work and the vaccine's very safe and effective and that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes. But sure, taking Q seriously is what's really stupid. I mean, yes, a complete and total cultural phenomenon that has changed the information landscape forever. But (laughs) that's so stupid to even think about what it is. Hey, guys, at some point, you're going to have to simply accept That the people around you who are trying to influence your opinion by making you feel bad about your thoughts, the same people having all of the dumbest beliefs ever because they think they'll never get called out for it. They think that, oh, well, you know, everybody was wrong. Sure. Okay. I was wrong, but everybody was wrong. So I'm not stupid. Hey, yeah, you are either that or you're too weak to think independently, which is stupid. You got to actually just let them be who and what they are and understand them as that. Okay. If they're that close minded to ignore, honestly, a renaissance in the information landscape that will impact our future to no end, then let them ignore it. Let it be dumb. Let them be dumb. But it doesn't mean that you have to ignore it. And it doesn't mean that you have to feel embarrassed about considering an idea that stupid people think is stupid. No one's telling you to believe something that doesn't make sense to you. The only thing I'm saying is this is clearly a cultural phenomenon and you are better off informing yourself about what it is and creating an opinion from that. Rather than accepting everybody else's opinion because they try to impose costs on you and your character and your intelligence because you've taken something serious, seriously. We are literally four days into Truth Social being open and available to the public, and it is still only available to a very small portion of the public. There are estimates That the total user base on Truth Social right now is somewhere between 50 and 100,000 based on the fact that Donald Trump has roughly 50,000 followers. But there are hundreds of thousands of people on the waiting list. 
So we're a few days into the app even being available to people and even fewer days since the at Q account started posting two days since Devin Nunes responded to it and not even one day since Cash Patel claimed that he was having a beer with at Q. So all of this is developing and they could be trolling. I'll say it again. Or they could keep providing further and further proof that the Q posts and that the real Q is directly related and potentially even the same as this Q. And here's the thing. Even if that kind of confirmation doesn't come, if the at Q account is able to create Q proofs in real time in the world that map onto reality exactly from that account, then it actually doesn't matter anymore whether or not Q confirms on the boards that the truth social at Q is Q. And there could be reasons for why that Q might not confirm on the boards. So in some sense, I remain agnostic about all of this. You know, there are multiple possibilities that could explain all of these things. So for now, it seems rational not to settle on to any of them. But what's happening is absolutely fascinating and it deserves some thought, right? So I'm thinking about this last night and it seems to me in some sense, it actually doesn't matter if Q confirms on the boards because what it will then become on truth social is a test of faith. Some people certainly already believe that at Q on truth social is the same Q and it doesn't matter again, like I said yesterday, whether that Q is real in the people who don't know anything about Q describe Q as being real. They want to know that there's a person there and that that person has this or that information and that all of the posts were true and that they mean something and that you can figure them all out. I don't think that's the case. And I've said many, many, many times over these last couple of years, it doesn't matter. It's information among other information. Okay. So there are already people that believe that at Q is Q. There are other people who will be convinced that at Q is Q over time based on what at Q is posting. And at some point, the level of proof might grow to a point where it becomes undeniable for people who followed Q since 2017 that at Q is that same Q. And people will just naturally exercise different levels of skepticism. But eventually, with enough proof from at Q on Truth Social, it won't matter whether or not Q ever confirms on the boards because people are going to believe it either way. And if Q is the information warfare operation many people believe it to be, then Never providing proof on the boards may actually be a way of reaffirming people's faith in the entire operation. That might sound counterintuitive, but believing it without the confirmation on the boards is an additional act of faith, which, if proven true, strengthens faith. And that could be a goal of theirs. Now, just to briefly restate the position on Q that I have held the entire time, the information in those posts 
and the information provided by Anons who have analyzed those posts consistently for the entire time they've existed is extraordinary. That information pushes its way into the mainstream and has the power of affecting real world events. And we have seen that in just countless instances. Okay. To that extent, it doesn't matter whether Q is the operation people believe it to be. It has accomplished certain things no matter what, whether or not those were the goals it set out to accomplish is irrelevant if the effect is real and the effect is real. We have increased the information in the world, the legitimate information in the world, the information that destroys the fake news and the propaganda state media's central narrative. Q has done that, okay? Whether or not it's real, it still did that. If it was a psyop meant to pacify Q followers and destroy the Patriot movement, it failed at doing that. In fact, if that's the case, it had the opposite effect of the intended effect, which could potentially make sense because these people are incompetent, not narcissists. But the other option is that it is real and it accomplished the goals it wanted to accomplish. And now with the fact that Devin Nunes and Cash Patel are interacting with at Q on Truth Social, Donald Trump's social media platform, you might want to start giving the idea that it is real a little bit of credence because whether or not it is, they're using it. So confirmation on the boards isn't needed because this Q at Q on Truth Social can prove its own reality just by what it's posting on Truth Social and how and whether or not that maps on to reality. And it's worth mentioning that Cash Patel himself was at Mar-a-Lago on Wednesday, one day before he started interacting with Q and having a beer with Q. And so think about what could potentially be happening here if, for a second, you take the thought experiment and think that Q is what Q purports to be and that at Q is Q. Well, what we're now operating with, assuming what I believe to be true about Truth Social, that they have fortified Truth Social against attacks from the outside, that it can't be taken down or hacked. They have been limiting severely the number of people that are able to get onto the platform. It seems like they are making a concerted effort to not let any bots onto the platform. And right now, with whatever number of users they have, 50,000 or 100,000, they are already able to make this information about Q go wide to the public. And they're actually able to gauge how large an audience they need on Truth Social to enable this sort of news to spread to a broader audience of any desired size. They're actually able to track and gauge that in real time, how effective this system is working, how well the community is doing at spreading information and penetrating the mainstream central narrative. So consider what kind of weapon this might be in an information war. Okay. If at Q does prove to be or becomes believed to be Q and the posts seem to map onto reality and fit what's happening in something close to real time, 
then assuming that Q has inside intelligence and information on things that are happening and things that are about to happen, that information can be relayed to the research community and to the people who communicate that research to the public, which I I guess I'm part of doing in some sense. I mean, I think everybody is, unless they're addicted to the central narrative, everyone doing what I do, I'm saying. Well, that's something that can completely evade the censorship regime. The censorship regime regime will no longer matter at all. And really direct actionable information can be distributed to a massive audience like almost immediately within seconds or minutes or hours, probably at the longest. And the broader community will be able to destroy elements of the central narrative at lightning speed. And I don't just mean the Q community. I mean, the MAGA community, America first, Trump supporters, people who are sick of Joe Biden's fake presidency, people who have had enough of being lied to and just want to find out the truth now. All of those people are now in the same community in some respect. And the thing is, the way the information passes from Q to Anons and researchers and whatever out to a broader public who then communicates that information. You see, the thing is, those researchers are finding open source intelligence. They're not just repeating things that Q said and taking them for granted. They are scouring every bit of information available on the Internet to figure out exactly what is critical and important about all these situations. That is an incredible information weapon that the mainstream media and big tech cannot compete with at all. They don't have anything like that because their entire operation is built to produce propaganda and propaganda is based on lies, lies that do not map onto reality at all. So at some point in the progression of this, if at Q is proving to be Q and proving to be posting about things that map onto the reality in the future, well, the people in our community are going to believe it. And I'm going to believe it, honestly, because there is a point at which denying it would actually just be moronic. It's just like, no, that's what that is. Like, you can see that's what that is. If you watch how it operates, you will see it operates consistently in the way people describe. So that is, in fact, what it is. And now it's time for you to accept it. We're going to reach that point and people will reach it at different points. But once that point is reached, once it becomes undeniable, then more people begin to talk about it and more people become convinced and then more people are watching it. And there is a point at which people will understand that to be exactly what it is. And then they will be listening and they will be part of that process in destroying the central narrative, in ridding the world of this propaganda nonsense and all the lies of the global communists. And you have to consider what that moment will be and what it will mean. And we may well already be in that moment. You could kind of feel it happening last night, right? This is an awakening to knowledge and truth and information on a wide scale that will eventually reach all of humanity. And for many people, 
who have spent the last five years being called stupid and morons and all this other nonsense, conspiracy theorists, while knowing that they were actually on to something, at the very least, that this was an, an important evolution in the landscape of information for all time to come, they will have their faith reaffirmed in a way that will make them unstoppable in terms of spreading this truth. And the story I'm trying to tell you right now is already being amplified by media outlets on the right. Gateway Pundit reposted a post from my friend, uh, the storm has arrived 17 last night. So again, the reality, the exact reality, how you want it defined in some sense doesn't matter because this stuff is being mainstreamed as we speak. And one of the really interesting things as Truth Social goes worldwide and hundreds of millions of users start signing on to it, the at Q account will have an actual number of followers. What happens when that number of followers is a hundred million? Is it then worth taking seriously when you find out this isn't some fringe community? And by the way, it really, really is not. And you don't have to believe anything about Q to understand that there are millions and millions and millions of people who at least pay attention to Q. And so I was discussing this on Telegram last night and a friend of mine asked if I think that Trump will begin using Truth Social and will make it his main form of communication to the public, which I absolutely 100% think. That has got to be one of the primary reasons that Donald Trump involved himself in this project in the first place. So I 100% think it's he's going to make it like his new Twitter and the media is going to cover it. And eventually those media members will join Truth Social just so they can watch. And then Twitter and Facebook and all of that will just fade into nothingness as their stocks continue to crash. And the weight of all their corruption and criminality destroys their companies. And if you're a longtime listener, you will know I've been predicting that moment for a year and a half. Thought it was going to come sooner. It hasn't. It's coming either way. But Donald Trump is absolutely going to use that as a direct channel. He's got the most powerful information machine in the history of mankind at his fingertips, knowing that he can communicate directly with the research community and they can amplify the message across the world. This is going to destroy the mainstream media once and for all. It will eventually destroy the Democrat Party. It will eventually destroy the global communist world order. And again, these are things I've been talking about for two years. All that's required for the Democrat Party to be ended forever is the truth coming out. That's it. Okay. Once 85 or 90 percent of the country understands that the election in 2020 was stolen and that not only is Joe Biden illegitimate, but most of the rest of the politicians in the country are illegitimate. No one is going to vote for a Democrat ever again. I would be surprised if the Democrats even have candidates because no one will want to associate with them. It will be for all intents and purposes exactly like it is for people who claim allegiance with the Nazi party. Because, of course, these people will also have the truth about COVID and about how these people have destroyed their finances, how these people have robbed them of their hard-earned money for decades and decades and just stolen it so they can buy stupid houses. 
on the shores they say will be underwater in the next eight or nine years. And it's a cue phrase, the phrase, nothing can stop what is coming. But this is what it means. The truth going global, nothing can stop that at this point. We are already over the peak. We are in the end game. That is what I mean. And the same friend asked if I thought the truth social could be shut down, could be taken down. And I said it would be crazy for the people who are setting up Truth Social to allow for that possibility. They saw it last year with Parler and other apps. It would be irresponsible to subject themselves to that. And it would be a result of bad planning. Now, I'm not saying it might not go down for a day or something, but it's certainly not just going to be taken down. I think it would be more likely that they would try to do a widespread internet shutdown than be able to take Truth Social down. And if that's the case, well, it would kind of make sense that they're setting up all of these different narratives about what cyber attacks can do. Many people believe on good evidence that some of the cyber attacks we've heard about that have been attributed to Russia are actually just the global communists and the CIA staging those cyber attacks themselves, even including against American targets. So, no, I wouldn't put it past them for a second to cyber attack our own nation and use all of this lead up to Russian cyber attacks as the explanation. And so assuming that the platform cannot be taken down and that they will begin releasing proof, further proof of all of the corruption and the criminality from people like the Clintons and their crimes against humanity, their crimes against children, their crimes of corruption, their crimes of election theft and treason. All of this will be able to be stabilized on the internet, on a platform that anyone can access all the time. And so I think what they might do is just begin dripping stuff out and continually escalating it. I don't think that they're just going to start launching all of the most damaging stuff right from the beginning, because I think the goal here is to wake people up on a slow enough timeline that they are able to feel like they have come to these conclusions themselves rather than having the conclusions thrust upon them. And when we reach a critical mass of understanding the truth, then all of this will simply stop because the people will take back the full control for themselves based on truth. Politicians who are pretending that they have some option, they can fail to address election fraud and still get elected in the 2022 midterms or in 2024. Well, that myth is going to just disappear. And that is just one example of what I have been talking about consistently for at least 18 months. Okay. These truths will arrive on a wide enough scale. And when they do, that's when action occurs. Joe Biden can't just keep pretending to be fake president when 90% of the country knows and agrees he's fake president. People are going to immediately look at their own representatives and say, why didn't you tell me about this? Why didn't you do anything about this? Are you going to tell me you didn't know you certified the election fraudulently and you didn't know you didn't bother looking 
And this is why I said in December 2020 or January 2021 that all of these politicians who are sitting illegitimately will be gone because all of them are complicit and all of them, in my mind, have committed treason. It is their responsibility to object and decertify elections that are fraudulent and they failed to do it. If they did not object, then they are complicit in perpetrating this fraud against the American people. And we might get surprised about one or two and we might be told, well, they were you know, part of the plan. We asked them to do this in a certain way and that's what it is. And who knows, maybe that's Rand Paul, right? But I highly doubt it. It is entirely possible that the at Q account on truth social, if that verifies or if the belief becomes broad enough that it is verified in some sense, well, that could be one of the most important moments in the history of mankind because all of a sudden the entire population would be able to come to true understandings immediately based on the hard, critical research of everybody. The truth would be emanating outward from a central core of reality and spreading to the entire world, which is completely the opposite of how the majority of humanity gets their information now, which is by force, the central media injecting it into all of our arms. This is what you must believe. This is what you must believe. Okay, I'll believe it. I wouldn't want Tulsi Gabbard to call me stupid. But at some point, it will ultimately be an act of faith and people will reach that point at different times. Consider that right now, all of the people whose opinions you are so concerned about, those people put their faith in the science. They put their faith in Anthony Fauci. They put their faith in Don Lemon. They put their faith in Brett Baer saying that Joe Biden won Arizona on election night. And despite being provably lied to for this entire time, they have not rescinded the faith that they put in these obviously corrupt and idiotic, immoral people. Consider that. Consider that belief is always an act of faith. It's just a matter of what you put your faith into. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, download the Telegram Messenger app and go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. I'm on Gab, Getter, Rumble, and BitChute at I'm your moderator. You can find my writing at I'm your moderator.substack.com. And the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the show financially, there is a crypto wallet address in the episode description or go to ko slash I'm your moderator. K-O 
www.ifi.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you again soon out on the ring. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform is great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's high noon! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes 
with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!